Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. and we're back live for part two because we got cut off again the tricksters at work <laughs> tricking us out um you, you wanted to talk about poltergeist so they're showing you how they work <laughs> exactly yes they are um so in terms of uh let's get back to the poltergeist thing so so we were talking about like young and you know some of the more esoteric and metaphysical aspects of it um but when you you know and you were also mentioning like how it accompanies other weird phenomena like ufos and uaps and cryptids and all sorts of things yeah um have you ever experienced anything weird like a like a poltergeist kind of thing oh, yeah. like that yeah my my favorite was a whole sequence of things um uh, this was a few years ago i know i was doing a show with at least josh someone else, maybe Tim or Ren or someone, but uh, uh, shortly beforehand, I had, at the time, like DirecTV or whatever it was, and they had the, the music stations on there, so when I would stop watching stuff, I would just, it would revert to the music station, uh, whatever metal station I decided to select, but I didn't like most of what they played because it was just kind of a generic, mainstream metal station, mm. and at some point, it was like, they were playing like Killing Joke or Budgie or something. I'm like, oh, I like this. And so I turned it on and I listened to the song and then like ACDC came on. And I've never been a fan of ACDC. And so I, I muted it. How dare and, you? And <laughs> I left the room and I'm literally in the next room and suddenly ACDC is cranked at full volume. <laughs> and and Angus like, Young's in there. I'm like, oh, this is before he died. But <laughs> yeah. It, wait, did Angus die? I think he's still uh, no, alive, right? It was the lead singer that. Yeah. Uh, didn't someone else in the band die too? I don't know. Okay. Well, whatever. Um, so, like, I go in there and I literally, I, my sound system's fantastic. And I'm like, holy crap, this hurts. It's so loud. And I run over and I, I turn the volume down and I mute it again. I'm like, okay. And then I hear this loud kabang from the room I was just in. And I walk back in and my grandmother years and years ago had this or maybe it was my mom's i don't know it was uh basically a, a cast iron thing that would grind tomatoes into sauce mm. and it had been sitting up at the back part of a cabinet on the wall on the other side of the room and now it was sitting in the middle of the floor that's weird and i was like well that couldn't have happened and I walk over to it, and I pick it up, and the ACDC cranks up again. And I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? And so I put that on the table, and I walk back, and I mute it, and I just, to the room, say, I don't like ACDC. Keep it off. And then there was nothing. And it cranks it louder. <laughs> no. It Lack was up your daughters. It Lack was, up your wife. All right, all right, all right. We don't want to get it. as loud as it could go, literally. when it came bro. Off. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get copyrighted. You did. Jimmy singing. did for singing on your podcast. Yeah, he had a song playing yeah. too, man. But, That's uh, crazy. So, That's a wild story. 
So like then I go to do the show and we're talking and my microphone at the time I had just a, a USB mic hooked in, into the computer and it has an on off switch on it. And it's not a easy to move switch. I mean, it's a full click type of a switch and uh, it, the mic just turns itself off while I'm talking into it. Mm. And suddenly they're like, are you there? And I'm like, yeah. And so I'm like, going, what? Why can't they hear me? And I just happen to check the switch and the switch is off. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I click it on. We keep talking. A couple of minutes later, the switch turns off again. And I'm like, well, this is not possible. Right. And I'm right here. It's two inches from my face and it's doing it. Right. And the final thing, the next day I grabbed the CD case that I grabbed with, uh, that, to go to my radio station with, uh, with a bunch of you know, newer music CDs in it. I pick it up and the case is open. Now, there's no way I could have had it open and put it on the floor. It would have flopped open. So it had to be unzipped in place on the floor. So I picked it up and the CDs went everywhere. I'm like, really? When did that happen? Last night when everything else happened? Yeah, it's weird. So, you know, I don't know that that was an external entity or, you know, some part of my unconscious trickster, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't know what it is. I treat it as an external entity because I have no conscious control of it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what are, um, what are like the, the what do the skeptics say? I did read some stuff, like some guy, I think in the late 1800s, early 1900s was saying it was running water under buildings and it's creating like stuff falling off or like things like that oh, happening. There's all but, kinds of, but then they like came to the conclusion, like even if there was something to happen like that, or even like an earthquake, like it wouldn't, it would have to be like a big, everybody would have to feel it in the area. It wouldn't just be like a little thing and knock a bunch of stuff off or make things fly across the room or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And people being pelted with stuff, stuff disappearing, reappearing, I mean, if, if you really look at the, the literature, there's some really fascinating cases of stuff apporting into existence, um, you know, disappearing when it shouldn't be moving in ways that it couldn't possibly move. And the most likely scenario is that it is a, a form of psychokinesis. So then you have to say, like, when people have these, these close encounters, when they have near-death experiences, is that opening us up? Is it sort of waking up that psychokinetic energy. Hmm. I mean, with me, it was most likely Kundalini that started it. Yeah, you're big into Kundalini, aren't you? Yeah, well, I didn't have a choice. It kind of just <laughs> uh, woke up on its own when I was like 12 years old. So, so you've had some weird experiences with it. Now, um, when you look at, there are other skeptical people saying that oh it's just this or it's just that and um then there's other people saying no it could be this like what about something like in between like what about you know like how the salem witch trials with them eating like ergotized bread you know and possibly hallucinating and that's why they think that people are doing all these insane things you know like what about something like that in history where Maybe people were seeing weird things, but they were under the influence unknowingly of psychedelics or something like that. But we have plenty, plenty of modern poltergeist activity, you know, stuff that that we have, you know, very experienced observers who have seen when they were doing research and stuff. And, and really, when you look at it, anyone who's had, like I said, weird experiences probably has stories of poltergeist activity. The skeptics will will grab one piece and find up uh, and basically say like, oh, well, it's possible 
this piece could be explained by this, but they don't take it as a whole. Like, they, I mean, that's what they do with most stuff. Right. They, they, they break it down and then act like that's the whole thing they're explaining. Um, you know, back a year or so ago, when uh, the government had acknowledged that back in, I think it was the 50s or 60s, that some very high altitude planes they were flying might have been the cause of a few UFO sightings. The skeptics were all over that saying, oh, see, UFOs are explained by the government, you know, right. flying planes. And it's like, no, the only people who saw those planes were other pilots in high altitude situations. But yeah. again, you look at that, that was the 50s, 60s and the, and the CIA or whoever it was only announced that that was a thing, you know, within the last few years. Right. Like the B-52 or the SR-71, like that kind of stuff. Right, right. Um or the B2. Um, when you look at, um, I just, like I said, some of these things are hard for me to grasp in the sense that like the only really weird things I've ever experienced, like truly bizarre things have been under the influence of psychoactive compounds. Sure. So, I mean, for me, I mean, yeah, meditation, I experience weird things for sure, but psychedelics is like the only thing where it's like i've been able to like it's the only thing like i'm in waking state walking around interacting with my environment and weird things are happening i'm thinking weird things i'm experiencing weird things sure. you know this is the case now i guess the only thing i've experienced not as my dad and i last year saw like a weird orange orb in his backyard that was like pretty big bigger than any star by the time i pulled up my phone the weird thing is i pulled up my phone to pull up a star chart I didn't even, mm -hmm. I wasn't even thinking camera. I was thinking star <laughs> chart and I pulled this thing up. And by the time I pulled this thing up, this thing's already gone. And like the whole night we just kept saying to each other, like, that was so weird. That was so bizarre. Um, you know, yeah. so like, I guess that's the only weird thing I've ever experienced. But other than that, I mean, it wasn't like in that moment, it wasn't like how I've experienced the other weird things, though, the truly bizarre things that I've experienced in those psychedelic realms. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I mean, I, you've, you've changed your, your, perception of consciousness with the psychedelics right so when you're in a normal state of consciousness where that stuff isn't as accessible it's it it it's weird and it's hard for people who haven't had any experiences to understand i mean a lot of times when you talk to skeptics they've had little or no experiences um and it could just be a matter of you know just like color blindness not everyone you know there are some people who are color blind then you have the normal spectrum of vision that that the majority of people have, but then you have people who can see outside the normal spectrum and see colors that other people can't. Mm. So, I mean, our perceptions are not universal by any means. So there, there's, you know, when you talk about extrasensory stuff, I mean, it's hard to envision if you don't experience it. Mm -hmm. There's actually a bunch of evidence to point to that in ancient times, people weren't able to see the, the color blue or it wasn't known as blue. Right. It wasn't like a separate thing. And they, they go back, you can yeah. go to like Homer's Odyssey and the way that the water is described is almost like green, you know, and if you were in uh, cyclitic Greece or in the, the Greek islands, it would be blue. It's crystal clear blue water, you know. Um, yeah. Same thing with the ancient Egyptians. I think they were the first one to start using blue dye, you know, so... Um, Weird. Yeah, imagine not seeing the sky is blue if it is blue. That's so bizarre. Well, and how do we know any of the things that you or I see are the same as anyone else? I mean, our brain is translating data and and 
creating an image from that data. I mean, yes, we can, we can both knock on the same table because the vibrations of that table and the vibrations of our hand, you know, can't pass through one another. Mm. But that doesn't mean we're seeing the same table. Right. Yeah, well, we saw it with that game where you look at the dress and you can't tell. Yes. Half the people looked and saw one color and half the people saw another. And, th- and that was such a great thing because, I mean, people were annoyed with it because it went viral. <laughs> yeah. It's just annoying. I'm like, no, this shows us how our brains work. Yeah, yeah just a absolutely. little thing, a little tweak here or there, and it's something completely different. Or that sound thing. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I know or... what you're talking about. They were both yes. similar. Like one was a visual yeah. thing and one was like an auditory thing. You know, our brain makes patterns out of the stuff around us, but it's not the things we see, the things we hear, they don't exist as what we perceive them as. They per- they, they exist as vibration. Yeah, I mean, everything's frequency and vibration, right? Like yeah. you were just mentioning, like you can hit the table with your hand, but in, in reality, everything's made up of these subatomic and tiny particles and uh i mean that that the fact that it moves a certain way and then becomes you know a solid or we perceive it as solid i mean it has to technically be solid right in this material realm because you are feeling something there that is for sure there you know well it's it's solid because it's at the same vibration as us and you're not going to run through a wall i mean that would hurt right so (laughs) generally yeah um, but I, I mean, on a certain level though, like, again, everything's made out of these tiny particles and, yes. um, it's amazing too. I mean, that's an interesting story. I don't know if you know the origins of like atomism and atoms, but Democritus, uh, one of the pre-Socratic Greeks, um, came up with this idea. He saw like a shaft, the story goes, he saw like a, a shaft of light coming through like a dusty window and saw these like little particles floating in the air and came up with the idea that everything is made out of these like tiny particles on some base level. Um, hmm. And that's pretty much, we're still there to this day. And that was, I don't know, 2,400 years ago or 2,500 years ago. That I did not know that. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so when you think about, um, when you think about like the poltergeist thing, do you think that, there is some overlap with like the UFO and the UAP stuff. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And like I said, people who have had encounters often they're followed by poltergeist activity. So you think like afterwards there's like weird stuff that happens that, I mean, is it in the same way that I think a near death experience wakes, wakes this up in people. I think also the, the UFO phenomena does too. I mean, Kenneth ring did an amazing book called the, the Omega project where he did a study of people who had, near-death experiences and UFO abduction experiences, and uh, along with a control group. I mean, he was a psychologist. He knew how to do the science. Yeah. And he found that the people who had the experiences not only differed greatly from the people who didn't, but the after effects were very, very similar and included things like awakened kundalini, poltergeist effects, things like that on both groups. And it was one of the things early on, you know, back in the the early 90s when I started seriously looking at this stuff that kind of broke me because I was like, why would an extraterrestrial encounter have the same side effects as a near-death experience? And of course, the answer is neither one one may be what we think it is. Yeah, my mom had a traditional near-death experience where she died giving birth to my one younger sister for she was dead for like I think like three minutes or something. Um 
and she's not scared of death anymore. She saw her deceased dad, my deceased younger sister, who had been already dead for a little bit. Uh, Not that she was giving birth to it. I had a sister pass away before that. Um, And, uh, yeah, she saw them, and it was just a... She, like I said, she wasn't scared anymore. It was it was a religious experience. My mom's, you know, pretty religious, but um, in terms of like talking about it with her, there's other hallmarks of other weird things going on that, you know, you could see how the mind would influence you to think certain things, even though something weird is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it has to put it in some kind of context for you. Right. It's whatever you know. Right. Yes. Yeah. It has. It has. To, it has to put it in a narrative somewhere. So, I mean, like, you know, some people would see, like, you know, there's people that see Jesus or these religious, you know, icons or whatever. And then there's other people that see, you know, aliens or ghosts or, you know, other entities. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of goes to, you know, it's all like the Jacques Vallée and John Keel stuff and this idea that you kind of see what you're prepared to see or maybe what you've been studying or focusing on. Oh, absolutely, and and, and it, it tends to, uh, like, uh, what was the thing I was just thinking of? You mentioned uh, something that triggered a thought, and now I, I lost it. It uh, happens. Uh, near death, like you're prepared to see what you've been looking oh, into. Oh, yeah, it's, it's also possible that in some cases we're dealing with tulpa-like stuff, uh, thought forms. I mean, if you look at the Philip experiment, um, they basically created a ghost, and... You know, they gave it a history and all this other stuff. And then other people came in and tried to communicate with it and got responses. And they got accurate responses to the history they created. And I think the last thing that happened is they they told Philip that he had been created, that he, you know, he wasn't real or whatever. And he basically said, okay, well, goodbye, and never contacted them again. Now, whether or not that was, you know, something they created, you know, through intent, you know, with created some kind of tulpa. Or whether or not a wandering spirit came by and said, I'll do this. You know, right. who, who knows? There, we don't have the tools to separate those things at this point. Yeah, I just, um, I really think that the mind plays such a massive role in all this. I like, I, you know, I wrote the blog about uh, epistemology and UFOs. Like, how do we know what we know? You know, and I started with using like some Cartesian doubt and then worked my way into like what we can know or what we do know. And what we do know is people have weird experiences and people see stuff in the sky. And there is some data to record some of the weird stuff that people see in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things are that is real. Now, you could yes. debate all day what they are exactly or whatever, but that's that's what's there. Now, um, when I think about this stuff, though everything's filtered through our consciousness. There's not one thing, not one experience, everything you experience all day long, every day is through your consciousness. So when people say, Oh, you know, I'm just nuts and bolts. I don't focus on the consciousness aspect of it. Well, it it still is through your consciousness, you know, you know, like we, what if we're living in a simulation, you know, or what if there's so many different possibilities that like you still have to entertain the fact that, what you're experiencing is only interfacing with you because you're conscious. Right, right. And may only interface with this reality because we're here and conscious of it. Mm. Um, yeah, the simulation theory I always found interesting, or, or the holographic theory, either one, seemed to be more accurate than most materialist models. Um, 
And Jim Elvich wrote a good book called Digital Consciousness that was showing like ways in which our, our consciousness behaves more like a digital system than a than an analog one. Mm. And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. I consider myself more of an analog guy too, and we're talking about like musical gear and like playing <laughs> guitars and pedals and stuff. That's always the best stuff is the analog stuff. Yeah, I mean you could debate that too. I like the warm uh, sound of real tube amps and stuff like that, but people sure. debate that kind of stuff all day long too. So well, I know you're a metal guy, so metal people actually prefer solid state because there's a quicker response and attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what was the other thing I was just going to say about that? Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> something about tulpas, but I'm trying to remember what it was. Yeah, thought forms. or. Yeah, well, and there's also there's a really good book called uh, Illuminations, and I cannot remember the, I can never remember the guy's name who wrote it. I've had him on the show for it. But he posits UFOs as sort of a group uh, poltergeist, you know, like a group-formed poltergeist. So when you have a UFO flap, He's saying that there's stuff going on in the culture at that time that generates stress and such that, that creates this UFO, these UFO encounters. The same way that stress will create poltergeist activity. It's hmm. interesting. And I, and I don't think he's right, but that, that was another thing that led me toward the, well, what are the, the similar? I mean, because he made some very interesting similarities between poltergeists and UFOs. So I don't think he was completely wrong. Um, like like one of the things you get is like the falling leaf motion. So in poltergeist cases, sometimes you'll see something heavy like a rock suddenly materialize in the room and make that sort of falling leaf motion to the ground like it weighs nothing. And that's a common thing in UFO sightings too is you get that falling leaf motion. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole, obviously the people that have experienced, you know, been close to a UFO or, you know, um, you know, like a Travis Walton or somebody like that, you know, these people experience weird things like time dilation and like, um, you know, all the stuff, the, the sensory stuff that we're talking about, which is, it's interesting from the standpoint too, that when you look at, again, time and all this stuff, it plays such a dramatic role in the way we look at our day-to-day consciousness that even a slight, you know, <clears throat> disturbance in that can take you down a whole different path. Yeah. Um, Travis is interesting. So, so one of the, I know what I was going to say earlier. Um, when you're talking about evidence for UFOs, the thing is, for all of this stuff, I don't have any doubt that something is happening, that people are having these experiences. I don't necessarily think that we know what these experiences are, but whether it be monsters, UFOs, paranormal stuff, I mean, this stuff has been with us as long as we have recorded history, and I'm sure before. So it would be sort of intellectually dishonest to just say, oh, all those people are making it up or all those people are hallucinating. It doesn't tell us what it is, but it tells us that it is a very human experience. It's a very human experience that grows across cultures. Well, let's be real. Some people do make it up, though. There are people making money or making stuff up or whatever. I mean, you don't want to, like, say that. There's a lot of people that are, like, against calling that out, but it's just, like, that's true. You've got to call it out for what it is, you know? No, but when you look at the what I'm saying is with the large number of these experiences that go cross culture and cross time, not all of them are being faked. You know what I mean? Right. Do you ever ponder it is all in our mind or ponder that 
we are manifesting these things or creating these mythologies and um, oh, it's there, there are version of the Greek gods. Again, I added that in that blog I wrote too on our website about, you know, the way that the Greek gods were perceived that they were real to the people, even though they weren't actually interfacing with them. Like they weren't physical beings. They believed that they were real. They believed they controlled certain aspects of things. And then here comes the pre-Socratics and the philosophers and say, no, 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 these are natural explanations for, you know, like Thales thought that magnets have a soul because they can move and like connect to each other. Right. But in reality, we know that that's just magnetism now. Right. So, I mean, it's like the way that we perceive things maybe in the future. And I'm not, again, trying to be necessarily skeptical. I'm just trying to, you know point out that there are two sides to things and i think that if you really are after truth you can't just you can't just start with the crazy fun stuff and just believe that and not even look at the other stuff you know my saying (laughs) say it (laughs) the truth lies somewhere between (laughs) absolutely absolutely but what i'm saying is i i'm not interested in proving that ufos are a thing because i think we have more than enough evidence that ufos are a thing what they are now that's a completely different question mm-hmm. you know i mean the same with ghosts i mean ghosts are a thing people have experienced them forever uh there's enough cases to assume that this is this is again uh, something that that seems to happen on a personal level more often than not and the same with ufos they affect people on a very personal level i don't think this is another civilization contacting our civilization whatever this is Seems, I mean, especially with the abduction stuff, I think it falls more into the category of shamanic awakenings than anything else. Mm. I mean, I think you see more more connections between shamanic awakenings and UFO abductions than people realize. But our culture doesn't look at these things as positive experiences or as learning experiences, because if something's scary, well, then it must be evil. Right. Whereas with a with a shaman having that same experience with their their cultural view of it is, oh, these are things I need to to deal with. These are things I need to work through. I have to, in order to serve, you know, as as the shaman of the tribe or whatever, I have to be able to deal with these things. Um, you know, they have the whole taking taking my body apart thing, where they're right. dissected and put back together new and so on and so forth and. You know, Graham Graham Hancock did a great job in Supernatural making those comparisons between the shamanic uh, stuff and the the way UFO abductions are. But the problem is our culture doesn't see it that way. Our culture sees it as a negative. Well, um, we have a couple of clips of people talking about their like DMT experiences and stuff like that on our you know excerpts from our episodes and stuff like that. And I think it was uh, Dick Khan had one where he talks about the, you know, he had these beans like taking them apart and working on them. And you're right. I mean, that is part of like the iconic shamanic experience, right. Is being taken into the underworld, disin, you know, taken apart, put back together. And then you have like, even in mythology, you know, that sounds very, sounds a lot like the myth of Osiris. Sounds a lot like, you know, other mythologies. Um, the weird thing too is Mesoamerican, um, metaphysics when you start looking into like the ancient stuff and like the mushroom codices and stuff like that too shout out to tom lane who wrote uh um uh, sacred mushroom rituals and the quest for the blood of quetzalcoatl uh but it's the idea of like you know it's not the idea of western metaphysics there's no duality or whatever it's this idea that there is no beginning there is no end it's just kind of there you know um 
Oh, what was the other thing I was just going to say? Oh, shaman, oh yeah, right, the shamanic stuff. You know, you look at, at the other thing Graham covered was was all the cave paintings. Hmm. And in those cave paintings, you got ancient alien people who will say, look, there's greys. And it's like, well, that makes perfect sense if we're dealing with shamanic stuff. Right. You know, I mean, you get that in, in altered states. You get that with ayahuasca. You get, you know, so again, it to me, that lends more credence to this altered state. Uh, and, and of course, you say altered state and people are like, so it's not real. And it's like, no, an altered state is just as real as as our consensus reality. It's just more personalized. Right. Well, that's what the both that's me and Dennis and Terrence McKenna would say. It's like. If you experience something, it is real. Now, does it have any like inherent value in the material world? Is a different story, you know. Sure, sure, but it, it's it's part of that personal journey, and I mean, a shamanic awakening is a personal thing. And to me, the UFO experience seems to be a personal thing. Now, maybe not someone seeing a light in the sky, but even some people who have just seen lights in the sky have had really weird after effects from that. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, have you read, um, any of like, er, any, uh, Terrence McKenna's early stuff from when he was there in like Columbia and he has like the flying saucer sightings and everything? No, but I've heard of them. Yeah. You should look into them because it's right up kind of the alley that we're talking about right now, pretty much. Um, he became skeptical too of like the UFO. I think he got into the UFO stuff later on and became skeptical of like kind of the people in the field, um, not that there wasn't something weird happening, kind of like what we're talking about, but just that, you know, people build these careers and mythologies and they come up with these speculations. And in reality, we don't know what it is. We don't know. You know, everybody's banking on the fact that the go- you know, the government knows what it is or they have the more data or, you know, they're going to reveal this or reveal that. Maybe, maybe not, you know, but what we do know is something weird is happening and we don't know what it is. Yeah, well, that that's exactly it. And I don't, and like I said, even if the government did know what it is, they're not going to tell us. Yeah, no, I don't know. What game, I don't know what game is being played right now. Careful, careful. <laughs> We're getting to that marker. Is it the time? <laughs> is it the word? What is it? What are we getting? You know, that half an hour death mark. Yeah. <laughs> but but so much of the UFO stuff, it it is very personal. And when you get to like. A lot of the people, especially using hypnosis, like Bud Hopkins, and like I think Hopkins, when he started, was very much uh, he he meant well. You know, I don't think he was a bad guy or anything, but hypnosis is not a memory recovery tool. Hmm. And we didn't know that when he started doing it. And here he is creating all these narratives of what's happening with these aliens and this breeding program and stuff. And then it gets into the culture. And it wasn't until Missing Time and Communion came out with the with the greys on the cover that people started regularly reporting greys. I mean, they were a part of it all the, all along, but so were all these other types of aliens. And one of the things they, they've shown is that the reports of greys went, you know, when those two books hit and became bestsellers, the reports of greys in the countries those books came out in increased tenfold, mm. but not in other places where the books weren't for sale. So other countries didn't have that, that same response as some of the Western cultures where those books came out. And that suggests, again, just a personal element. This is how, what our brain is using to identify this stuff. What do you it think? May not be, huh? I was going to say, what do you think in terms of like that archetype, though? Because like, for me, that's a creepy archetype. Like Even when I was younger, I think I was like five or six, I would 
turn on the radio and I, I honestly don't remember if it was coast to coast. I lived in Michigan. I don't even know if you could get that station there um, on AM, but I would listen to some AM station where they would talk about aliens and it would just creep me out. I would be like up all night listening to this thing at like five, six years old, seven years old. And then it was just like Michael's love phones. And then, and then just seeing like this like gray archetype, it's just like you said, the communion cover, just that creepy inherent gray, you know, and and that's it. I think I think it's an archetype. It t- talks to something deep in our unconscious, and it's why we see it in in shamanic visions and stuff like that. Whether it has an imp- you know like an, an actual physical existence, who knows? It might just be in our unconscious. I mean, yeah. the same with reptoids and all and giants. I mean, these are all very archety- archetypical sort of images. Yeah, I mean, because I. Sometimes I think about that, like, what if, like, the Gigantopithecus thing is the epigenetic memory of the past, and then what right. if, like, a gray alien's an epigenetic memory of the future, since time, you know, is like a weird thing, and maybe we don't understand it completely yet, but you can tap into some sort of future projections, or have some weird connection to the future that you just don't know about, you know? And, and I think all, I think the future can impact the past as well. Right. Retrocausality, I'm fairly sure, is a thing. Have you read uh, Identified Flying Object by Dr. Michael Masters? Not that I'm aware of. You should check it out. It's his theories about, uh, you know, the crafts being time machines and the beings being time travelers. Um, and he's, a, um, I think he's an anthropologist from University of Montana Tech, I believe. We're going to get him back on the show again soon, but... Um, I think you'd like his book. It has a lot to do with like time and obviously the phenomenon and stuff. Right. Well, I, I think that time exists all at once and we just process it in a sequential order, but that occasionally we can slip to other pieces hmm. or other pieces come back. Because I, I think we're dealing with a universe that's made of information. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and from my own experiences, I mean, I've had prophetic dreams that didn't come true for, you know, six, seven years about people I didn't even know at the time. Yeah, I had, I had some weird stuff. Go ahead, Maurice. I, was just, I had a dream of a friend that passed away, and we did cryptocurrency before this crazy uprise, and he told me that the Ethereum token was going to $3,000, $4,000. And, and I didn't listen. And has it? Yeah, it's at like the four, four, four grand right You're now. You're talking I'm to two people, myself. I'm sure, that don't know anything about crypto. <laughs> no, I know. I, I asked Soraya about it, but no, yeah, yeah, it's it's high, man. I could have made I could have made millions. Wow. I had weird meditation thing where, um, you there? Yeah, I had a. Uh oh. No, I'm here. Oh, he's there. Are you still there, Soraya? I'm still here. Okay. Yeah. I thought we had another dip out, but we're good. <laughs> we're here. We're still good. Um, no, I was just going to say I had a weird meditation thing where I saw the interior of a building where I was living with my wife, and we were dating at the time, but it just felt like we were married in this scenario and everything. And I'm not joking the place we live in now, and I didn't even realize it kind of till after, but it's the exact same layout and everything and, like, the building structure and everything. It's, like, the same place I saw in that meditation. It's very weird. And and there are definitely times in my life, I mean, I have a lot of prophetic-type dreams, 
And when I recognize that, like, so if I dream about someone I don't know, and then I meet that person, I'm like, okay, I'm sure I dreamed about this person for a reason. I'm going to pay attention now. Hmm. You know, so like, and how much does that influence my path? Because I, if I hadn't remembered that dream or whatever, maybe I wouldn't even bother talking to that person. You know what I mean? For sure. That's so so it, it, it it brings in, into question the idea of free will. Like, how much free will do we have? Do we have free will? Is it sort of like certain things are supposed to happen? What do you I think? Mean, do you think we have free will? I think we do to a degree. I think we can really, I think we have a set idea of what we're supposed to do in this world. Um, but I think there are certain things we, we, I, I like to compare it to, to the way a wrestling match is set up. There are certain spots that are supposed to be hit and you can get to those spots in any number of ways. And it'll be like, okay, and then we're going to do this spot at this point and this spot at this point, And here's how it's going to end. And those are the spots in our life that are, are kind of set. And yeah, you could screw it up, but you'll get more out of it if you don't. Because mm. you're, you're clearly picking those experiences for a reason. And there are some experiences, certain spots that are, that are going to draw you in more than others. There's more ways you're going to get to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I don't know if this makes sense, but this is the way I've been thinking about free will versus like determinism is uh subjectively internally we do have free will objectively or externally we do not hmm. okay so like it's both like to you yeah. you can only perceive what you can perceive so yeah you have free will but in the bigger picture let's say there was this french philosopher mathematician simone laplace um and he it's called uh you know laplace's billiard shot where he was like if we have a pool table and uh, on the break, you give me all the physics, geometry, you know, you give me all the science behind it. I can tell you to pretty close where all the, the balls are going to land, right? Right. Off the break. So now you take that to like a cosmic level. Let's say we're like God's billiard shot. If, you know, there was a creator that, you know, that person or thing or simulation creator or whatever it is would know everything. And therefore you wouldn't have free will because it would know what was going to happen. Right, right. So, I mean, that's at least how I've been thinking about it. See, and, and I think, I don't know, There's the, when you deal with synchronicities, when you deal with some of this stuff, like, there, there's, there's connecting fibers. Things aren't random. Hmm. Now, whether that means we don't have free will or not, I don't know. But in the end, we, we feel like we have free will, so I guess it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, do you believe in, like, coincidences or... Not generally. I think, yeah, every once in a while they could be saying that's a coincidence. And then there's, you know, stuff that's just the, the likelihood, the likelihood of it being a coincidence is very, very slim. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess, mean, I can't, that depends what it is. I was going to say, do you believe like, yeah, because there are some like mundane things where you could be like, oh, that's a coincidence, you know, and it's not really that groundbreaking of a thing, you know, and then there's times where it's like, there's no way. It's so obscure and so, you know, like almost esoteric in a way that there's no way that that could be a coincidence. And of course, we also got to keep in mind that the brain, like if it, if it comes, what is it? If you hear a new word or something, you're almost certainly going to hear that word again, like in the next week or something like that, like three oh, times. Yeah. 
And it's because our brain is now paying attention because now it knows that word, whereas before it would have just glossed over it. Um, but it also yeah. can be that we're creating part of our reality. So once we know that word, that word is now inserted into our reality to some degree. Mm. What about the owl thing? I had a bunch of people when I first started jumping into this podcast stuff and talking about UFOs. People were asking me a lot about owls, and I know that one guy you've had on your podcast. Mike Cullen. Yeah. What's what's the deal with the owls? A lot of people who have these type of experiences also have weird owl experiences. And sometimes it can be a perfectly normal owl. It's just in a weird... Okay, so like my my owl experience, I think there's only one that was really weird. Um, so I was, I was talking to, uh, Gwendolyn, who I was seeing at the time and she was in Ohio at the time and she's sitting outside and she hears, uh, I'd say, I forget what type of owl it is, but it makes the sound of like a horse whinnying mm. and we're talking and she's like, do you hear that? And I'm like, no. And I had one ear, uh, one earpiece in. And she's like, I've never heard that before. And she's kind of freaked out by it because, you know, it it sounds weird. It sounds like a ghost horse or something. Right. And so finally, I think she she either saw it or she went, I think it's a I think it's an owl. And I was like, huh? Yeah. But I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it over the phone. And like two or, two or three minutes later, I heard it. And I went, oh, oh, I just heard it. And she's like, you heard what? I'm like the owl. She's like, <laughs> the owl stopped. And I'm like, what do you mean? I just heard it again. And I'm like, it's outside my window. Yeah. Like, what are, what are the chances of an owl that neither of us have ever heard before first being there, and then when it stops being there, suddenly it's outside my window? Weird. That is weird. Like, there's, there's, you could say, well, it's just a coincidence. Sure, but what are the chances of that being a coincidence? I mean, what are the, what's the owl situation in your, your area? I have never heard that owl before and i have never heard it since we have plenty of owls in fact on my property i have some very rare owls hmm. i learned this because people kept stopping outside my house and just sitting and finally i went up to one of them and went all right what's going on and they're like you got weird owls and i'm like oh. <laughs> yeah what's that fish lyric searching for owls the old man says <laughs> um so yeah, the owl thing is weird. Actually, I remember at my last place where I was living, uh, my wife and I, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. For some reason, we both woke up. This owl was like the loudest owl like ever and just went on and on. It wasn't even just like who. It was like the loudest hoo-hoo, you know, like you could imagine. Coming through the window, there's like we had blinds and all sorts of things covering it too. And this thing just went on and on and on. And um I remember going out into the kitchen and like looking at like I have skylights and just um it could have been, you know, a car or something like that too shining through the skylight, but there was some like weird light action going on there too, but I was so tired. I was just like I got to get to bed. This stupid owls uh you know, bugging me. I'm too tired for UFOs. Yeah. I know I would always look out of those three skylights all the time, man. I mean, it was uh perfect too and, it, and during the the winner, Orion's belt, would line up perfectly through the the one. Oh, nice. So, uh, uh, sh shout out real quick to Tasmaniac. Thank you for the uh, super chat. We love you. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Um, 
The so, owl thing, I mean, there are people, as Mike has said, like someone saw a six-foot owl in the driveway. Obviously, there are no real six-foot owls. So what did they actually see? And again, this to me, this is a, a matter of our brain seeing something it doesn't know how to process. Mm. So it's like, I don't know, giant owl. Isn't that know? what they were trying to like say that the Mothman was too? Like some barred owl or some like yeah, massive like owl? owl. Yeah. And there was another bird they tried to say the Mothman was. I mean, the Mothman stuff has so much weird stuff going on. I think that that is a perfect case where retro causality may have been part of it. Have you um, heard too, like the possible like uh, LSD and like MK Ultra stuff happening in the area? No, I've heard some of that. I don't know how there's any validity to it. Well, the the thing that struck me about the Mothman stuff is you have this this group of of people it's a small community you have when keel was there he said these people are unnaturally a unnaturally large number of people who either are psychic or are psychic and don't realize it um plenty of people had premonitions of the bridge collapse without realizing what was what they were getting premonitions of right. there was ton of poltergeist activity there was a ton of ufo activity you had a handful of the mothman sightings you had the men in black you had all this stuff going on and the theory i have is that because one of the one of the things they've shown in um laboratory tests is that emotion plays a big part in this mm. like when you're dealing with psychic abilities of any kind emotional stuff is the stuff that really matters which is why it's so hard to replicate in the lab, like Jeffrey Kripal once said that the, the supernatural happens to in real life for a reason, you mm. know? And so emotion right. is a big part of this. So that, that bridge collapse, I mean, when you really think about that, this, this being such a small, close community, the bridge collapsing right around Christmas, killing all these people, that's one of the most devastating things that could happen. And I think that sent ripples backwards. And those ripples were picked up by people. And those people then, you know, they didn't recognize it for what it was. So some had premonitions. And some may have created a very avid poltergeist activity that was either used by something in the area, because it's also an area that's known for weird stuff. So either something in the area may have used it, or they may have just, at the same way that a child will, you know, create a poltergeist because they're stressed out or whatever, these people were picking up this information that this bridge was going to collapse, this highly emotional, horrible thing was going to happen. Right. But their conscious mind couldn't make head nor tail of it, so it just manifested as poltergeists and monsters, because it's all scary stuff. You know, it's getting scary information. As soon as that bridge collapsed, all of that stopped. Yeah, that's weird. So if you stop looking at it as directional, you can say, well, that happened. It created this emotional outburst that was picked up years ahead of time that manifested all this stuff. Yeah, very weird. But, I mean, everything's just energy, too. Like, what about for the poltergeist stuff, too? What about, I did see some people speculating about, like, again, ball lightning or, like, plasma some you know plasma formations and stuff like that being a cause for some of the stuff uh i don't know about how many poltergeists would would fall in that i mean i guess if you're seeing light forms with it i mean the, the thing is you get ball lightning that behaves like science says ball lightning should behave and then you get ball lightning that does some damn weird stuff yeah like floats i've seen and i don't know if this is true but I, I feel like i was watching something where people have said that they've seen it pass through objects too yes yeah 
which is not completely impossible from from a scientific standpoint. But some of it behaves like there's something more to it, like it has some form of intelligence. Um, mm. And you can go look at like uh, like the Marfa lights are a great example of what seem to be plasma lights that seem to to show some form of intelligence. Uh, they they will move away from you if you try to get close to them, but if you stop and sit, they'll come closer to you. Um, there's this there's this one place in Michigan in the UP. I think it's Paulding Lights or something like that. There's some like weird highway in UP Michigan where every night these like lights and they don't know where they yeah. come from or whatever. I think it's the Paulding Lights or Paulding. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Um, and they don't know where any of this stuff comes from. It's so bizarre, but yeah, that just goes to show you like everything is just light and energy and weird, yes. you know, interplays between those two things. And I mean, when it when it comes to Travis Walton, who you mentioned earlier, I sus, you know, I. I don't know what happened to Travis. I believe Tra- Travis. I believe the story. Right. <clears throat> but there, the problems with, you know, I met Travis and I could not get him to give me straight answers about a few things. Uh, one of the things was, what did you remember prior to hypnosis? And he would not answer that question. Yeah. He just kept insisting that all the hypnosis did was help him relax. And I'm like, but that's not what I'm asking you. I want to know what you remembered right away. Like what what was the the stuff you remembered before anyone messed with your head, you know? Right. Regardless of whether it was just to relax you or not. And he wouldn't answer that question for me. Um but if you look at what they experienced and you said, Okay, what if this is a large scale plasma formation? That area is known for lightning strikes, which I didn't realize until recently. Someone told me that. Um, it has a very high number of lightning strikes there. Yeah, so he was if, on uh, Joe Rogan talking about that himself. He was talking about how okay. that was like a very magnetic weird where there's all these like these trees have these like massive lightning strikes on them and stuff. So you could have had a very large scale plasma formation that he, of course, got excited. He started running towards it and it could have discharged into him. His friends panic, they leave, he gets up dazed and out of it and wanders off into the woods. The distance he covered is not more than it would than he could have in the time allotted. Um, but the thing about getting hit with a bolt of electricity like that is that you are unable to form short-term memories for a period. But the thing is is too is like why would he then have those thoughts and like why would he like of these grays and you know waking up in this weird thing and then being like hovering right. over him and dragging him through the you know whatever he also he, well that that's more i think that was more the movie yeah well, I, I mean that's just me thinking about what i visually have seen but i do remember him saying that they he did wake up with these beings like over him and stuff yep and he has changed that now to say that he thinks that he would they were saving his life versus like experimenting on him initially mm. But the thing is, that's why I wanted to know what did he remember prior to the hypnosis? Right. Like that, that was a really important the thing is he may not know at this point. It's been so long. I mean, that was, when did that happen? The early 70s? Yeah, late, I think so. Late 70s, there? yeah. Yeah, okay, late 70s sounds right. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of time to pass, you know, to, and I'm sure that's never left his mind. So we don't know how much of, you know, I wanted to know what, what did you, what did you remember right afterwards? And he right. wouldn't answer. And then I said to him, so do you affect electronics? Do you have poltergeist activity, all this other stuff? And he kind of tried to dodge that one too. He did eventually say that he did have some electronic effects, but he didn't want to get into it. 
Mm. And again, I'm thinking, okay, so a people who have these experiences often, you know, have the 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 unconscious PK stuff and the effect on electronics. And if you got z zapped by a bolt of plasma, I'll bet anything you're going to affect electronics the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. And it was 75. I thought it was somewhere around. Okay. Uh, and, and Ren Collier, one of my co-hosts, had also suggested that maybe what he experienced as a UFO abduction was really a near-death experience. Hmm. Well, because, what do you think would have caused it? Like ball lightning or some sort of... Well, yeah, some, some kind of large ball lightning. Because the thing about plasma is it can look like metal. Because the other people saw something, though, right? Like, they yeah. did see some, like, weird thing coming through the trees. They, it's, they definitely saw some, like, craft or form or something. They, they saw a big ball, a, a very bright ball of what looked like metal. Right. Which is a form plasma can take. Right. That's the interesting thing. Like, nothing that he described could not be explained with plasma. It doesn't mean that's what happened. It's just a possibility. Right. Like, we may never know exactly what happened to it unless it was aliens and they came back and said, hey, is Travis around? Well, there's got to be something weird, though, too, beyond, like I said, like, you w even if you got hit with ball lightning, like, what's, what are the odds that it immediately goes to some sort of alien thing and aliens hovering over you or working on well, you? Well, but it wasn't, he didn't just see aliens. I think he saw some, some, something alien-ish, but he also had people, normal humans. Oh. You know, that was, that was left completely out of the movie. He saw people. Right. So again, if you're looking at near-death experiences, it's entirely possible that that's what he was experiencing. That's true. Yeah. And by the time they came back, he could have wandered off into the woods. Right. That movie's very creepy. I remember watching that when I was like, I don't even know. Yes. When it came out, it was probably in my early teens, and I was just like, oh, this is bizarre. <laughs> but, but it was not that realistic to what he described experiencing. Right. Like, oh, you got to you got to Hollywood it up, you know. Yeah, he did talk about that how like the movie does differ in a lot of spots too. I mean, that's like Communion. I actually think Communion's a great movie, but I mean, Streber has always been absolutely furious about the fact that it makes him just seem like a crazy man and this is not how things were, you know, played out and so on and so forth. What do you think's like the most realistic experience or experience or movie or something like that? I don't I don't know. You know, I actually liked the way the Mothman prophecies portrayed it. I just rewatched it. <laughs> I just rewatched it. I, I don't know because I just read the book and then I was reading the Eighth Tower again too. Oh, the Eighth Tower is fantastic. And then I started watching. I watched Mothman. I'm like, uh, first of all, I'm kind of weird about cinematography. If it looks too poopy, which it does now because it's so old. All right, um, right. It's not cinematography. It's the effects. Whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah, the, or the camera quality, whatever it was. Um, they use good cameras on that, it. and then just yeah. I mean, I, I like the story. Like they didn't show too much, which I thought was a good thing in the, the those kinds of movies. Exactly. Like if you show the weird thing and it's not weird enough or good enough, you know, it's not. It's gonna be a big, you know, exactly. a big disaster. Yeah, it's, that's a good move of a horror movie is the build up. Yeah, the the the, the vibe. Of the Mothman prophecies, I liked. I thought it was probably more genuine than if they had literally just made a monster movie. I mean, there are Mothman movies out there that are just cheap-ass monster movies, right. you know? 
But me and Michael yeah. were inspired. We wrote a song that later the yeah, night we, when we saw it. We, we were in high school and we smoked a little something, went into the movie theater, and we were both scared out of our minds when we left there. <laughs> I, I think they marketed it poorly, though, too, because like in the commercial, you see the whole chapstick thing. Oh, yeah. In the trailer. And I'm like, okay, in the context of the movie, the chapstick thing is very, it's dead on, you know, because here he is reaching into the, the, the dresser or the, the night table or whatever, and he grabs something. He's like, what's in my hand? And they go, chapstick. Right. And he didn't even know it was chapstick. And this was similar to something that happened to Keel, where they were telling him things that he didn't know. And then he's like, oh, no, they're right. How do they, how could they possibly know that? Um, so, I mean, I like that, but when you throw that in a trailer, it just looks silly. Yeah, I mean, oh. I'm just trying to think. And they, they kind of made it like the big thing was it was a harbinger of doom, right? It was kind of right. like how this thing's, you know, trying to give these people a signal. And then across the world, something's going to happen. Like they, they bring in like a plane crash thing, too, where it's like somebody kind of knew that that was right. going to happen or, you know, something like that. So it was more of like... Uh, premonition-y kind of in a way. Sure, sure. And that was a lot of, you know, a lot of the theories that go along with that or that it was a premonition. Right. Um, but I, I, like I said, I like the feel of it, even though it really doesn't resemble what happened there. It, I think the feel was dead on. The weirdness was dead on. I do wish they left the UFO bit in because mm. there's, there's a deleted scene where they're out in the field watching UFOs and shining lights at them. Oh, really? Which is, which is something Keel did. He, he, they would see these UFOs regularly in this one area, and they would go out, and if they shined a flashlight beam at it, like a strong flashlight beam at it, the thing would disappear or move out of the way very quickly, mm. only to reappear elsewhere. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, all this stuff's just so bizarre. It's like, just even if you really just even wake up one day and just really ponder, like, what am I, who am I? What am I just doing Give me here? some answers. Like, sure. what, is, what is this? You know, this is the most bizarre thing. And I'm supposed to believe that this is just some accident and I'm just supposed to go along with this thing every day and none of this means anything? Like, that. that's that's what drives me to do this podcast. It's like, there's got to be something more to life. There's got to be some sort of purpose or telos or something that we're just not aware of. And I'll probably never find it, but I feel like at least it's going to make the the time worth it regardless of if there is or not you know well i mean i feel like the key to those questions lies in the in the stuff that we're talking about in this weird sort of like uh nexus between the real and what seems to be the unreal Mm. like we're not going to understand it uh i mean yeah we can understand aspects of it looking at things like chemistry and biology but there's there's something else there there's that that what we know of as science can't study at this point. Mm. You know, as much as they try to put consciousness in a box, they have failed completely at doing that. Mm-hmm. It's still the hard problem. Yeah. It's a hard problem, all right. <laughs> it's just so hard for Maurice. It's the hardest. Um, <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> Well, actually, yeah. Let's 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 wrap it up here, though, because I do want to get a Patreon in here for sure. our Patreon members. So, uh, let's wrap it up here, everybody. Go check out uh, Soraya's website, WhereDidTheRoadGo.com, and check out his YouTube channel. I have the link down below. Um, and is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, well, if you like metal, you can check out my metal show at TheLastExit.org. Okay, beautiful. There you go. 
Uh, well, this was a fun conversation, and I definitely learned a lot. I like these kinds of shows where I don't really know that much about the topic because I feel like you know if somebody like you that's knowledgeable that's been doing this for a long time can bring a lot to the conversation and up open up new pathways of dialogue into weird conversations. So I really appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, and it's always great talking with you. Well, we love talking with you, and uh, I'm glad that after the tricksters were done tricking. <laughs> uh, we were able to, we were able to get some stuff in, but, uh, listen, man, I really appreciate it. I appreciate what you do on your show. And, um, I like how open-minded yet skeptical you are. I think that's how most people should be. You should not necessarily believe everything, but you shouldn't just be so, um, boring as to just think that there's nothing to this thing either. So I, like I said, I really appreciate your approach and, Thank you. um, one more time, if you people are interested, you can head on over to uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. We're about to do one right now with Soraya, and I'll get that up there as soon as possible. Then we have a whole catalog of episodes and segments with other guests from the past. Um, and we are also on Discord, so come chat with us on there. We do fan chats uh, twice a month, so... One more time, go to indrasweb.org. This is the social media platform that we created. It is live. We're trying to get it in the App Store. I don't know how soon we're going to do that, but if you want to discuss all the topics we discuss on the show, it's a perfect place to do it. If you've got a theory, hypothesis, um, whatever, you just want to speculate, come on over. Uh, there's lots of good conversations happening on there. And uh, again, thank you so much, Soraya, and we will definitely have you back on in the future. All right, thank Smash that like button. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, we got more easy. We got to save that. All right, folks. Well, we love everybody. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.